Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called People of Hope, a study in 1 Thessalonians. In this series, we will see that even in trials, the way of Jesus offers us encouragement and hope. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here. So good to gather with you. This morning, I wanna invite you to open your Bibles or your devices to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're gonna be in chapter two. 1 Thessalonians is a a little letter in the New Testament, about four-fifths of the way back in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And 1 Thessalonians chapter two can be found on page 956 of those black Bibles. We're just walking through scripture together these next 10 weeks. And so I wanna encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you so you can take notes or circle things, whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to you that stands out. We're in a series called People of Hope. And we're learning that even in trials, Jesus offers us hope and encouragement. And we all need that right now. This is such a prescient series. We all need hope and encouragement. And Steve began teaching last week, and he taught on chapter one, and he shared about this word hope. He said it was an inward assurance, regardless of our circumstances, and we were reminded that our hope isn't wishful thinking. That was talked about a lot, right? Like, I hope hope the Cardinals win tonight. I hope I get to go on vacation. It's not a wishful thinking sort of hope. The reason for our hope is a person. It is a person, and his name is Jesus. Our hope is based on his life, death, and resurrection, and the new life that he offers us through grace. That's why we're a people of hope, and we need to remember that. We're a people of hope. Today, we move into chapter 2, and to understand what Paul is writing in chapter 2, we need to know the context into which Paul is writing this. So I'm going to set this up for us. In the ancient world, including the city of Thessalonica, about 200,000 people, there were traveling religious teachers. Traveling religious teachers. It was very common. And these people were part teacher, part philosopher, part charlatan, right? There, there, there were no televisions or movie theaters or radios, so it was a form of entertainment, and a teacher would come to town, and if they were really good, if they were really good, they could gain a large following and make a lot of money before then skipping town. And in chapter two, if you're following in your notes, Paul is defending himself against accusations that people are making against him, lumping him in with these traveling religious teachers. He's defending himself. So this letter is written about a year after Paul had planted this church and lived among the people in Thessalonica, and then he had to leave suddenly or get killed by a mob. And by the time this letter is written, it seems like there's a smear campaign going on against Paul telling people he's just another traveling religious teacher. He's a fake. He just wants your money. Don't trust a word he says. And what the opposition is trying to do is if they can discredit the messenger, then they can discredit the message. So what we're going to do today is talk about what Paul is doing on the surface of things. He's defending himself and the message of Jesus, but we're also going to talk about what he's doing under the surface, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. So Paul, 
begins his defense in verse one. Let's look at what's going on on the surface. If you're following in your Bibles, Paul writes this. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We're gonna see those words again and again. You know, you know, you were witnesses. And what Paul is saying is, is I was with you. I was with you. You know me. You know my character. You saw what happened. You know the truth. You saw the results that the good news of Jesus made in your life. And in verse two, Paul's reminding them, right? Just before he planted the church in Thessalonica that he got run out of town, he was in another little city named Philippi. I think we have a map that we can put up for you that shows you. They're right next to each other. He was run out of Philippi, so he went to Thessalonica. In fact, Paul has a track record of being persecuted, thrown in jail, stoned by people who want to kill him, and all for sharing the good news of Jesus. Paul was different than these charlatans because he was willing to face opposition and suffer for his message. And this week, this thought kept coming back to my mind. We're only willing to suffer for what we believe in. Man, we're only willing to suffer for what we believe in. And Paul believed in the message of Jesus with everything in his being. It was worth it for him. Paul continues in verse three, you can follow in your Bibles, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. The the Greek word for trick you is a fishing term. It's a fishing term. It's bait the hook and then catch you and reel you in so we can get something from you. And Paul didn't come to Thessalonica to get something from them, but to give something to them, the saving news of Jesus. If you're following in your notes, Paul didn't want something from them, but for them. He wanted them to know the hope and encouragement that Jesus offers. He wasn't trying to trick them. In verses four to six, Paul continues. You can follow along in your Bibles. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask on to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. In these verses, Paul addresses three more strategies that these traveling religious teachers employed. And he's reminding them, if you're following in your notes, he did not employ flattery, greed, or seeking praise from people. He did not use those strategies. Flattery is the practice of saying nice things to people to gain influence over them for selfish reasons. By the way, y'all look great today. Great. I mean, you've been working out this week, eating healthier. I mean, y'all look great. Paul did not use flattery. He didn't use flattery, and he dispelled the argument that he was greedy. We're gonna come back to this in verse nine, but he never asked them for money. 
Never. And Paul concludes in verse six by saying that even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. And I wanna explain what he means by that. An apostle in the New Testament, that word apostle is a messenger who has been commissioned to carry out the instructions of the commissioning agent. Most often the commissioning agent is God or Jesus himself. And we can read about Paul's commissioning in Acts chapter nine. And we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that apostles had the right to be supported in ministry. So Paul could have come to town and said, hey everybody, Paul's here, Paul's here, I'm here, apostles here, pay me, I deserve this. And he never did that. He gave up that right for the sake of the message of Jesus and for the sake of the Thessalonians. I'm different, he's saying, I'm different. I'm not a traveling religious teacher putting on a show. And then in verse seven, we come to the word instead. You may wanna circle that word in the first gray box in your notes because the word instead is a turning point in the whole chapter. It's where it turns from we were not like this to instead we were like this. We didn't employ flattery, greed, and and praising people or getting the praise of people. Instead, we were gentle, caring, loving. So would you read with me the first gray box in your notes? It says, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Such beautiful, rich imagery appears in these verses. And the first metaphor that Paul uses is that we were like young children to you. The word can also be translated infant. And there's an an innocence about Paul and about Silas and Timothy, right? I mean, we all know this. Infants don't have this hidden agenda. Innocent, they're they're, they're innocent. They don't have a hidden agenda. This past week, my six-year-old ran up to me when I got home and he said, dad, I love you. You're the best dad in the world. And I hugged him and I said, thanks, buddy. You're the best Daniel in the world. And then you know where this is going, right? He stepped back and with a glimmer in his eye said, hey, can I watch that show now? It's not until we get a little bit older that we get good at deceiving people. There is an innocence in infants and Paul is saying that's what we were like. We were innocent around you. And then Paul flips that metaphor around and he says, we also cared for you like a nursing mother cares for her children. And what Paul is wanting to convey in this image is that there's nothing selfish in a mother's role. There's nothing selfish. Instead, mothers are in a constant state of giving. Moms, you can say amen to that right now. Constant state of giving. Paul wants them to know that. He was innocent. He was selfless. He cared for them. He loved them. He wasn't like these false religious teachers who came to town for a couple weeks and then skipped town with the money. Rather than using flattery, greed, or seeking praise, if you're following in your notes, instead, Paul was innocent and self-sacrificing. 
He was innocent and self-sacrificing. And it's in these verses, you know, I think a question that's always good to ask, um, they taught us this in seminary. If we didn't have this part of scripture, what would we be missing? And I think what we'd miss in these verses is we get a glimpse of Paul's pastoral heart. We get a glimpse of his leader's heart. He was invested in these people. He called them friends. He called them partners in the gospel. He says he was delighted to share life with them. And as I studied this week, I found myself thanking God for the opportunity at being at Cherry Hills for 15 years because there's something special that happens with time and continuity that you can know people deeply and be known deeply. And there's a prayer that was renewed this week that I would be a leader that's innocent, sacrificing, and delights in the people that God has allowed me to grow in Jesus with. We just grasp Paul's pastoral heart and it encourages us and gives us hope. Paul continues in verse nine, if you're following in your Bibles and he writes, surely you remember brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul comes back to this idea of pure motives and not asking for money. And if you're following in your notes, Paul worked to support himself rather than asking for anything. We learn in Acts chapter 18 that Paul was a tent maker. And so the way this probably looked in Thessalonica when he arrived to town, he started a business. And in the mornings, he would go to the market and sell his wares. And then he would go have lunch at somebody's house and teach at their house or teach in the forum. And then in the afternoon, he might rest, have dinner at someone's house, and then go back to making tents in the night. That's why he could say we worked all night and day not to be a burden. And again, we're going back to this defense that he's casting. If he was one of these entertainers, he would have never set out to be self-sufficient. Never. He didn't want people to think he was living among them for any other reason than to share the good news of Jesus with no other agenda. And in verse 10, Paul goes back to, you know, you were there. If you're following your Bibles, he says, you are witnesses. And so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. If you're following in your notes, Paul lived a life of integrity. Integrity, holy, righteous, and blameless. Holy is this, it means set apart, devoted to God. And righteous is his walk matched his talk. And blameless, which doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. I heard a great definition of blameless one time. It said, It's living in such a way that you don't have to look over your shoulder to see if anybody's watching you. He was holy, righteous, and blameless. And here's what is amazing about this. It's amazing that Paul can say, this is how I lived. And what's also amazing is that nobody could refute that. He lived that way. Jeff asked a question a few years ago that still sticks with me today. He asked this question. If the church, if everyone in the church followed Jesus the way you do, what would the church look like? Holy cow, you talk about convicting because there are some days where I wouldn't want the church to look like the way that I'm acting. 
but it's passages like the one we're looking at today that make me want to live a life worthy of God. They give me hope and they give me encouragement that we can strive together for that. And then Paul goes on in verse 11 and he details in his ministry a little more using another metaphor. So would you read this with me in the second gray box on your notes? He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul, Paul is saying that not only were we like mothers who nurtured you, but we were like fathers who guide you and encourage you and comfort you. And when I think of those words, the image that comes to mind is a great coach. It's a great coach. A great coach sees a preferred future for the one you are coaching that they can't see yet. They can't see it. And a great coach or father points the child in the direction they need to go to get there. And it, 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 sometimes it's tough love, but it's always accompanied by encouragement, comfort, and guidance. That's how Paul related to this church in Thessalonica. And in verse 12, we read Paul's goal, the goal in his spiritual parenting of the Thessalonians. He lived the way he lived because if you're following in your notes, he longed for the Thessalonians to live lives worthy of God. He longed for that. And if you're following in your notes, that is a really uh, big statement to make, live lives worthy of God. So if you're following in your notes, I tried to define this. This is my, my shot at it. A life worthy of God is a life lived in relationship with Jesus that reflects the character of God and brings honor to his name. That's a life worthy of God. We talked about this in our Imago Day series. As people created in the image of God, we are image bearers and our responsibility is to represent him well. My, one of my first jobs, I was 15 or 16 years old. I worked at the Department of Agriculture uh, at the Illinois State Fairgrounds. I was on the maintenance and grounds crew team, which is a fancy way of saying I went around and emptied the garbage barrels for the entire fairgrounds. And so I, I remember that my uncle Bob worked at the Department of Agriculture as well. And he took me aside before my first day, 15 years old. And he said this to me, he said, you're a Schwarberg. And I want you to remember that name means something. And how you do this job will reflect on me. I've never forgot that. Did I get it right all the time? No way, I still messed up and goofed off. But I remembered that. And in a similar way, as followers of Jesus, there's an expectation that we will represent him well. Not to earn his love, but to live worthy of his name. There's an expectation to live up to the name we've been given, son or daughter of the Most High God. We live lives worthy of the gospel. And Paul, this was so important to him, he would write the same thing to the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, and the church at Colossae. Live a life worthy of God. Live up to the calling that you have received. This was so important to him. 
keep going. We're almost done with Paul's defense. Verse 13, if you're following in your Bibles. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul did not come to Thessalonica with clever words. He wasn't gonna trick people. He taught the word of God and the people recognized there was something different about Paul than all the other religious teachers. There were power in his words and that power was the word of God. If you're following in your notes, Paul trusted in the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God. He trusted in its power. He would write to his apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.16. Would you read these words on the screen? These are beautiful words. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want you to know one of our core values here is to be Bible-based. It is the source of our authority and teaching. It is the very word of God that points us to Jesus. Listen, you don't need to know what I think about things. We need to hear what God thinks about things. And one of the reasons we gather each week is to open the word of God and hear what he is saying because there's power in the word of God that still changes and transforms lives. The Bible teaches us, it encourages us, it guides us, and, and it tells us things we don't wanna hear. It commands us to obey things we don't want to do. And it warns us against things we don't want to surrender. All, all in the name of living lives worthy of God. So if you're not already spending time in God's word, we say this a lot. If you're not already spending time in God's word daily, I want to invite you to start. The study that Steve wrote that accompanies this series is a great way to do that. 10, 15 minutes a day tops. You can go deeper into the word of God and apply it to your lives. And this week I felt like God just wants me to say something to the guys in the room. I think ladies are better at this. They do community a little bit better. They get in Bible studies. Guys, if you're not in the word of God, would you pick one of these up in the lobby and get in the word of God starting this week? Allow his word to influence and change how you think and how you live. This is a great way to get started. Paul finishes verse 13 by saying, you heard the word, you accepted the word, and the word of God is at work in your lives. And the clearest evidence of the Thessalonians' acceptance of the word of God was their willingness to suffer for it. And we see that in verse 14 to 16. You can follow along in your Bibles. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. 
So I wanna put um, that map back, back up on the screen for us just so we get our bearings of what Paul's talking about. You see Jerusalem in the corner and then you see Thessalonica where he's writing the letter. Around Jerusalem, and we'll leave that map up for just a second. Around Jerusalem, Jewish followers of Jesus, they had converted They were being persecuted by other Jewish people who had not believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's going on in Jerusalem. Thessalonian Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are being persecuted and killed by Gentiles who do not believe. And Paul wants this church to take hope and encouragement in knowing they're not alone. They're not alone. If you're following in your notes, Paul is writing to provide hope and encouragement that there will be vindication for suffering. There will be vindication for suffering. We'll talk about that more later in the letter. And Paul says the wrath of God has come upon these people who are persecuting you. And this can be hard to understand because it's written in the past tense, but we know the problem of evil has not been fully dealt with yet, and that means there's a now and a not yet reality to this. These opponents of the gospel, by turning their back on Jesus, they have no hope. And living as a people without hope in this world is a miserable place to be. So the wrath of God is upon them, but there's also a future fulfillment of God's wrath for those who do not believe There will be a judgment where the persecuted will be vindicated and those who oppress will be held accountable. But the way Paul writes this, this is important. This isn't like a God's out to get you sort of theology. This now and not yet reality reveals that God's wrath isn't a volatile, fly off the handle sort of wrath, but a compassionate and a patient wrath that gives people the chance to repent before he says enough is enough. Paul wants to provide hope to the Thessalonians that their present sufferings are worth it and they will be dealt with. And with that, Paul ends his defense. He's done. He ends his defense. But like I said earlier, there's more going on than we just see on the surface. What he's doing is brilliant. Paul is brilliant. Because he's at one time defending himself, but he's also instructing the Thessalonians and us how to, li- how to live by watching him and reading these words. Under the surface, Paul is instructing the Thessalonians and us how to live lives worthy of God. We see his pastor's heart, his leader's heart. And that's how we'll finish this morning. I just want to pull out five ways that Paul is teaching under the surface of his defense. The first teaching that we see, under the surface, if you're following your notes, lead others with love. Paul is communicating this. He's an apostle, and that makes him different than us. There's no apostles in the room today, but if you're in leadership of some kind, marketplace, school, medical field, life group leader, older sibling, mom or dad, Welcome to leadership. And whether you're a leader inside or outside the church, leading others is hard. And the metaphor that Paul uses for leading others is parenting. And it's because parenting is ridiculously hard work. Any hands in the air that parenting is difficult or that it's sometimes difficult to love your children, 
Did I say that out loud? It's hard. It's hard. And in this passage, we see Paul's strategy for leading others is love. It's giving them our time. It's giving people our presence. It's self-sacrifice. It's seeking to relate rightly rather than needing to be right. And we see Paul doing all those things. And he's teaching us that under the surface. And we need to pray that we would lead others with love. God, help me love those I'm leading. We need to pray that, and it's a prayer God will answer every time. Every time. Romans 5.5, we can see this on the screen. Paul would write this to the church in Rome. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, God's love is there for the asking to help us love others. We just have to ask, and he will fill our hearts with it over and over and over. We lead others with love. And then the second thing we see Paul doing under the surface, he's living this out. He's living it out. If you're following your notes, how we live matters. That's what he's communicating. How we live matters. As Paul pursued life together and lived with the Thessalonians, he distinguished himself by the way he lived. Holy, righteous, blameless. And it earned him a right to be heard and speak into their lives by the way he lived. And if we don't look any different than the culture around us, then why would people have any interest in this Jesus that we claim to follow? We need to live holy, righteous, blameless lives, not perfect, but authentic, humble, innocent, selfless. Do we look different than the culture around us because how we live matters? How we live matters. The third under-the-surface teaching that Paul's trying to communicate, if you're following in your notes, we are approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. He wants this young church to know this. You're approved by God, which approved means accepted. You're accepted and entrusted with the gospel. God approved of his son, Jesus. And if you are in Christ, God approves of you. God doesn't approve of you because of your greatness. He approves of you because he sees you through his son. Somebody here this morning, you may just need to hear that God approves of you. He accepts you. He sees you through the filter of his son, and he is pleased with what he sees. He is pleased with what he sees. And because we're approved by God, we're accepted by God, we are entrusted with the good news of Jesus. And that means you're a missionary. It means you're a missionary. Missionaries aren't just global. Wherever you find yourself, in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood, on the athletic field, on the court, at the gym, you are a sent one. You're a sent one. God's plan to reach people with the good news of Jesus always has been and always will be people. What an amazing responsibility and privilege. When I did Steve's study this week, what, the last question in the week said, what is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do with this? And what I wrote is pray for boldness, for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus wherever he has me. 
man, Lord, would can please make that true. Make that come about in my life. Boldness to share the good news of Jesus. Paul's teaching that to Thessalonians and to us. And the fourth teaching we receive from this text, under the surface, Paul is communicating through his life, if you're living the way of Jesus and if you're following in your notes, we will face persecution. We will face persecution. And I wanna be clear here what I mean by face persecution and suffering. This is a persecution because of our commitment to God and his word and our identity as followers of Jesus. We, we face little of this right now in America, very little of it. Although it is becoming more commonplace to be excluded, made fun of, or considered stupid for our beliefs. And can I just insert this as one of the leaders in the church? I just feel like I need to speak this into our cultural moment so we're all on the same page about this. What we've faced with COVID and mask wearing and distancing and having to not meet in this building for a time, it is not persecution. It's an annoyance. It is inconvenient. It's not persecution. So let's just be careful with what we call persecution because there's over 340 million brothers and sisters in Christ living in places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, and Pakistan that face persecution, suffering, and death every day for Jesus. I wanna put a picture on the screen. This guy's name is Ibrahim. And I read a story about him last week. He's a Somali who lives in Kenya. You can see the joy on his face. He was born a Muslim and converted to Christianity. He was disowned by his family. His wife of 60 years was taken from him because he would not quit teaching and his apprentice was killed for preaching. And when someone suggested to him that he had experienced a lot of suffering, would you listen to his response? Not nearly enough compared with Christ's suffering for me. Not nearly enough. When we follow Jesus, we aren't guaranteed an easy life. We're actually guaranteed trouble and that we will be persecuted and suffer. Paul experienced this and he wanted us to know this. Don't get into following Jesus if you think it's gonna be easy. And here's the last thing Paul's communicating under the surface, through it all, that he wants to get this across. If you're following in your notes, living lives worthy of God, is worth it. It's worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. He's the one who created us for a relationship with him. And, and we had gone our own way. We wanted to be the Lord of our own lives. And he still sent his son to live the life we couldn't live, die the death we deserve, and be resurrected. And Give us grace to enter into a way of life we could never earn on our own. And when we place our trust in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, we are made right with God again and restored. And we move from death to life now, both now and forever. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make good, uh, bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And through all the trials and hardships of this life, we find hope and encouragement in Jesus. Regardless of what we walk through, he is with us and there's a day coming where he will set everything right because of his life, death, and resurrection. 
the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. They no longer have the last word. I wanna share with you a portion of the last story in the Jesus Storybook Bible that speaks to this hope and encouragement. It's one of my favorite translations of the Bible. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye and then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making everything new. If you're not a follower of Jesus, today can be the day where you step into living a life worthy of God. You can choose that today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then let today today be a day you remember who he is and you find hope and encouragement and be reminded there's nothing better than following Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.